Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry present Journeys in Faith. Now, here's Andy Santis. Hi, welcome to Journeys in Faith here on this Friday evening on Fiat Ministry Network. Great to be here. And I have another amazing guest. I have Peter Cavallero. He is a husband, a father, an author, and an apologist. Welcome, Peter. Thank, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here, Anne. It really is. You have an amazing story of faith, and you are also the author of the book Fragments. We're going to talk about that later on in the show. Uh, I thought we could start out with your own faith journey. And it is so interesting because you're on fire for your faith. So we're very grateful to have you here on this evening. Absolutely. I, I love talking about my faith. I love hearing about the faith journeys of others. I think um, you know, there's nothing more comforting, uh, whether it's spirituality or anything, uh, than to hear someone else's experiences and realize that it's uh, you know, something that resonates with you and that you know, you're, we're all in the same boat. And so I'm always happy to talk about my own faith journey. Um, I was born into a devout Catholic family, and I was very blessed to have a number of individuals who were close with the church, people I could look to for inspiration. Um, but I think in some ways, uh, the faith journey of someone like me, who uh, I think is many people in the Catholic church, is a little trickier than the journey of someone who's born outside the faith and then later in life on their own volition chooses to to come into the faith because obviously that's a big leap. But once they've made that leap, they've already taken ownership of what they believe. They've already uh, self-affirmed in a very radical way that this is the creed that I wanna devote my life to. This is what um, you know, I wanna uh, follow for the rest of my life. For people that are born into the church, I think the challenge is to find a way to make make it your own, to make sure that you're not just on autopilot and that you're thinking about why it is that these beliefs are so important, to make sure that it's not just the faith of your parents, the faith of your family, but to really know that it's come into your heart sort of as a matter of your choice. And so that to me was the challenge um, when I was starting to come of age. And I was very blessed again to have, you know, the advantages of, of a great um, faith-filled home and, and, and close links to the church. Um, and I, I think at least the good news is that, um, you know, with faith where we're, we're chasing an object, God, who's not just sitting back and waiting for us to find him, he's coming after us with even more velocity than we're going after him. And, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, God will come down and meet us on our own terms at our own level the same way that a parent will when they want to bond with their with their own child. Um, and so that, in my experience, is kind of how I found myself on my own terms encountering the Lord. Um, I mean, think about like a father who, you know, maybe wants to bond with his teenage son and wants to have deeper conversations with the son and, and is a little disappointed that they're not as close. The father will think of the settings and think of the experiences that will most resonate with the son and use those as the way to make that connection. So maybe the son's into sports, the father will buy a pair of baseball tickets and take him out to the ball game, or we'll take him to the park and they'll shoot basketball hoops. And that's, that's the context in which that bond will happen. And, and so God, I think on this, in the same way comes to us in the 
context and through the means that are most hospitable to us based on what we're into. And so, um, you know, I think there's no one place or one way in which we can find God. I think it's the exact opposite. God can be found in almost any place through almost any activity um, that we can imagine. And because human beings are eclectic by nature, we have so many diverse interests and opportunities and experiences. God kind of ends up being coming at us from all sides. And so then the challenge just becomes being perceptive to God's presence in even the most unlikely of places and being open to that outreach from God, even if it's unexpected. So going back to me, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming of age and, I, and I'm wanting to, you know, find God, where do I find God? And I end up finding God in a series of places that are at home to me. You know, these are the places that um, God is meeting me because it's where, you know, that connection can happen. And so I think the first, the first place where I found God and, and, I, and I had that feeling of authentic personal connection with God was, was just through the warmth and love that I had with my family. You know, I have a, a big Italian family, a very close knit, uh, you know, extended family and grandparents and everything. And, and I found God in those relationships. Um, and I found God present in those relationships. And then the next place I found God was uh, through creativity. I'm a very creative person. I've got a lot of creative pursuits. I love to write. I love to design things. And in that creative process, I found God there too. And then I found God in, in nature. I love um, wildlife photography and hiking and just natural beauty in general. And, um, you know, in through nature's beauty and, and through um, sort of spending time outdoors, you know, I also found a connection with God. But I think the most unlikely uh, or unexpected of places, but the most uh, welcome connection I made with God for me um, was through um, philosophy, intellectual pursuits. I found God in the tenets and the teachings of the Catholic Church because I'm a very cerebral person. I'm academically oriented. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a thinker. That's just the way I am. So I was, when I got to college, and, and that's the time where I think people generally are at the stage where they want to put things together and think about what it all means and what this world is all about, what life is all about. If I didn't find God to my satisfaction in the head, as well as the heart, I would have been someone who probably would have been a little dissatisfied. Um, and I might have, you know, gone down the path of, you know, we've, we see it a lot, atheism, agnosticism. Um, but when I, when I um, you know, got into my studies and, you, you know, uh, pursued philosophy and, and did some writing uh, in that regard, you know, I was very pleased to discover that God, God was waiting for me there as well. And so I think that, you know, my faith journey, if God is water, my faith journey can best be described as me realizing I'm swimming in the ocean. That's how I would say it. Uh, I, I love how you articulated everything. It makes me also think of how everyone is different, whether they are opened up to God through truth, beauty, or goodness. Uh, I wondered if you had anything to say there, because you mentioned almost all three <laughs> in your description. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I think, I think God comes to us and he's got a knack for just knowing the best way to make that connection. And I think that 
um, I guess truth is definitely, you know, that is sort of another way of saying sort of the philosophy angle. You know, I was someone who I was pursuing truth. I was seeking to understand what things are all about to my satisfaction. And, you know, I mean, one of the, I mean, maybe the way to say it is, uh, you know, God, I, I, I found out that God is really the ultimate source of truth. God is the really the only satisfactory source of truth. And so for me, that got me a good way that, you know, that, that really, I got a lot of mileage out of sort of that realization and, and that to this day really fortifies my faith. I think you're a great example for not only people your own age, and I know you've told me before that you are a millennial, uh, but for people of all ages, including my own. So I thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Uh, I wondered if you had anything to say, because it's a known fact that people in your own age category are not really attending mass as they did in years past. And that church attendance among millennials and younger has gone down. And I'm sure, especially in this last year, uh, would you have any words of advice to anyone watching who is sort of on the verge of deciding whether or not they want to continue with their faith and maybe feeling somewhat discouraged? Yeah. Um, and I think it's definitely sobering facts that you mentioned. I mean, they are um, well-documented and it's been a, a trend for a while. Um, and by the way, that that's part of what motivates me to be a little bit more upfront about, you know, where I'm coming from and what I believe, because I do think it helps to kind of, um, you, you know, reach out to those sort of a, at my own uh, stage in life. I mean, yeah, for, for, for people in, in, in that situation that you described, I mean, I would basically, I would, I would think deeply on sort of what I've said, which is that, you know, there's no right way or wrong way to encounter God. God is sort of, you know, you have to try hard not to find God, you know, in your life, you know, he's around every corner. And so, you know, I don't think I wouldn't focus too much on the right way to um, have that authentic encounter with God. I think the good news is that, you know, every, through everyone's interests and experiences and activities, God is waiting for them in, in some way to make that connection. And so, I think they should pursue or they should seek God in even the small, ordinary details of life. And as to, as to sort of that potential weakening of a connection with the church between people my age and, you know, the church, I would say, you know, as kids, we think of, you know, we, we, there's a tendency to think of church as sort of, or, you know, all liturgical things as sort of just like, you know, the same way you might think of homework. You know, it's sort of this dour, dreary thing. But I think that you actually can draw great comfort in the liturgy um, once you, I guess, realize that it's, it's a place, you know, to encounter. God is basically a, really alive and present in, you know, under that roof with you. I mean, it's, it's not just sort of checking off boxes. It's a, it's a venue for a very real and special encounter with God that uh, I, I think, I mean, I personally have been enriched by time and time again. Yeah, that's awesome because uh, any reflections on why we believe always helps us to keep going, doesn't it? Because I think all of us get discouraged and especially this past year for a lot of people, there's been some discouragement with 
uh, continuing on the faith journey, especially when we weren't able to get to mass. So I thank God that at least in my own uh, archdiocese here, uh, things are somewhat normal other than the fact that uh, mass has not been completely, uh, you know, made mandatory uh, yet. Uh, but I know that in hopefully the, uh, throughout this winter and as we go into the warmer weather, things will be quote back to normal. Uh, what are your thoughts on what has happened this past year as far as the, the church and, you know, moving forward? Look, it's been a challenge that I don't think any of us imagined we'd live through and, you know, really is unprecedented. And it, I think, um, does put a bit of a, um, a strain on, you know, our personal relationships with God. I mean, for, for those of us who, for whom, you know, going to mass and, and, and participating in the, in the liturgy and, and regular receipt of the sacraments was a vital part of our connection with God and having that kind of interrupted uh, because of just external factors, it, it forces us to, to sort of really recreate to the best of our ability, a sustained um, routinized um, way of engaging with God. You know, one way I describe it, you know, for, for anyone who's been in a long distance relationship um, when my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, was, uh, living in a different state and I was all away at school, you know, when you're in a long distance relationship or even a long distance friendship with someone, as I always say, that relationship lives or dies based on the quality of the communication and the, you know, the regular, the regularity and depth of the, the correspondence between these remote people. I mean, our, our relationship with God in, in some ways is permanently like that because there is obviously some barrier to, you know, having a face-to-face -face with God in, in, in a literal sense. We need that regular, the regularity and, and the earnestness of communication with God in order for that um, relationship to remain vibrant. And so recent events this year, I think, made that more true than ever, because it was really up to us. We didn't even, we didn't have the aid of, you know, the greater community to sort of, you know, buoy ourselves. Amen. I like the word routinized. And I think that's a good word for all of us, because even if your diocese or archdiocese hasn't um, made mass kind of an, an obligatory yet, we can always routinize our prayer life. We can always routinize our um, awareness of God in our lives, as you talked about the, the different ways that God speaks to us all the time. Uh, I think another way that God speaks to us is through our vocation. Now you're a millennial, you are a married man with, with a little child, your wife, Alexandra, your son, Peter, who's 16 months old. There they are. Beautiful picture there. Yep. I love that. He is adorable and your wife is beautiful. Let's right. talk about that. I mean, you have an amazing family, and obviously God has come so much into your life through your own family life and through your vocation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like the word vocation. Um, it is a great word to describe, you know, not just someone who's obviously called to, um, you know, religious order vocation. We're all called for, to vocations of all sorts. Um, and, and it's up to us to discern it. And I actually think the, the even more profound uh, fact is that actually we're all called to multiple vocations. You know, I, I wear different hats, you know, I, and some hats I'm always wearing, some hats I'm wearing on top of other hats. Sometimes I have five hats on at once. Um, but yes, I think there's no, no more important vocation to my mind um, than, uh, and now it's recent, but you know, fatherhood and, and also as a husband. 
Um, and I mean, there's certain things that I think, you know, sort of beyond any doubt, you just know, and you don't have to, you know, think overthink it or prove it or, you know, and for me, at least beyond any doubt, there is no, there's no doubt that, you know, when they say this is what you're put on this earth to do, you know, I mean, when, when you're, when you're raising a, a child and, and you're uh, nurturing a Christian family, I mean, I think that you don't need to be in doubt as to, um, you know, your, I guess, service of God's plan. I mean, it's, it's just a great feeling of knowing that you're, you, you know, you're, you're really following that, the path that, that is honoring God. Exactly. I agree with you completely. And I just also commend you that you are so uh, rooted in your vocation and you know, what's important at a young age, not everybody realizes that at your age. So I, I just appreciate that. And I appreciate that you also said some words to people your own age and younger uh, about God, about relationship with him and vocation too. Now you're a father and fatherhood is a vocation. And I know that your son is only 16 months old, but can you tell our viewers, what is it like to be a father for those who aren't dads yet? Um, well, it's, um, it's kind of like when you jump into a frozen uh, ocean or lake or whatever, and you're, you know, you're sort of like, when you're standing on the dock, you're kind of like, uh, I don't know, like, I don't want to, I don't know how to jump in on my own, like I'm hesitating, whatever. You just do it, you jump in. And, you know, as soon as you're in, you're happy that you're, you're there. And, 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 you know, you realize that, you know, this is what you wanted to do. It was just taking the leap, taking, make, taking the step could be a little intimidating, but no, it's a, it's an absolute blessing. It, no matter how uh, physically demanding it is and mentally exhausting, it can be at times, you know, it speaks to how profound that's the, that's another thing, I guess it brings us closer to God in the sense that we experience a profundity of love that we never even knew we could exercise until you can direct that love toward, you know, a child of yours. Um, it's almost, you know, it's almost like, you know, a, like when someone is in an emergency situation, they, they exercise muscles or strength that they never even thought they had. You know, it's, there's this love and there's this capacity for love inside of us that you don't even have the ability to exercise until you can channel it toward a child. And in that way, I feel closer to God because obviously God, you know, there's you know, one of the most perplexing things about God is how he can love us so boundlessly, no matter how flawed we are and whatever, uh, something that we could never do because we're not like we're imperfect, but I think it, it kind of it gives me a, just a little bit of a glimpse into what God's love for us must be like. Yeah. I love that word glimpse. It's so true. And I'm, I'm sure that the words that you spoke also people who are parents understand exactly where you're coming from. I know I do. I'm kind of hoping my daughters are watching <laughs> because some of those words that you used are words right from my own heart to my, my own family and my kids. So thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about what is it like to be the dad of a child his age? Because I know yeah. that is an active age. He's 16 months old. Very active, always moving, running around. Uh, he was an early walker, which I should have known because I have the family record of walking in nine months. And he, I think he went, was walking at 10 months. So it's still pretty early. And he kind of skipped walking. He went to running and also can never take your eyes off him. And he is maybe, I mean, I don't have too many data points to go by, so I can't say whether he's on the high or low spectrum, but I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, 
He is shamelessly needy. He always needs attention. He, he, he can't play quietly by himself in a corner. He, he, he wants someone, preferably both people or any number of people in the room to be watching and uh, applauding him. And so, uh, and it, it requires a lot more compromises uh, of our own personal lives and my wife and I, you know, sharing other responsibilities and taking shifts. So definitely a huge life adjustment. And I'm one of the first of my friends to have uh, a kid. So I'm kind of a trailblazer here. Um, with them. Yeah, I can't stop smiling, honestly, because I love that age. And I love when I see people your age who embark on parenthood and brings back so many wonderful memories. And, and you're such a great example okay. to you and your wife. And uh, that brings me to the, the subject of faith in the family. Now, I know he's only 16 months old, uh, but I don't know if you have introduced any kind of like nighttime prayer as a family, or has he been exposed to anything about his faith. I know that when my kids were little, I used to read them uh, little board books that had something to do with, with God or Jesus or faith. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, uh, one thing you've, you'll find when, when you have a, a kid uh, is there's a variety of things that kind of just hit you and you realize, you know, you got to come up with, you know, what, what's your view on this? Like, what's your view on sugars? What's your view on, you know, TV time? What's your view on a thousand things, but obviously nothing close to being as important as, faith formation. And yes, we do have, um, you know, again, getting, to, getting, getting back to the idea of routinized, we do have a, um, a routine that we exercise um, as, so I guess there's two types of things that we've done. First is we have a routine, which I expect will evolve as he evolves. Um, currently it's um, a prayer, a series, a series of prayers um, with him, um, and that's sort of the, you know, and we'll get more into books, I guess, when he's getting a little older, we've got a lot of great ones. Um, but then another piece of it, I think, is sort of building the environment that will uh, hopefully supplement um, the, you know, the faith formation that we'll actively be doing by, um, I guess, uh, what we, we have a few things. Firstly, we have sort of in the house, you know, imagery, visual, visual wise, you know, wanting to provoke conversations about what this is and who that is and, um, you know, why this is up in a place of prominence. Uh, and then also um, audio wise, you know, have a, we have a playlist, prayerful playlist um, of music that we are, you know, playing and starting to play. Um, and I think, again, just to kind of build on all fronts, sort of this uh, totality of, um, of an environment that he'll, um, just kind of come up in with, which I think will be um, uh, bolstering of his faith. And then of course, I guess another important component that's less relevant now, but will be, I guess, very relevant soon is, is sort of on the negative side is, you know, blocking out or, or just you know, paying attention to, um, I guess, negative influences uh, in that regard as well, which I guess hasn't been as much of a thing we've been doing so far. No, I agree with you completely. And, uh, and on a side note, I homeschooled my kids. So I do understand what you mean about the negative influences and especially in today's world. So now we have a whole lot more to talk about and we're not going to take a break quite yet, but pretty soon. I thought before we take a break, you mentioned before the show started that you are a fan of the saints. I wondered if you could talk about one or two of your favorites. Uh, very hard. Um, I love the saints. Um, 
Well, let me say why I love the saints first. I mean, and I think Catholicism is so rich and textured. There's so many depths to our faith. Um, there's really no amount of stuff is too much. I mean, we, we, we have so much that I think augments what's under the rubric of the Catholic church. But in my view, nothing is more enriching than our catalog of saints. And I think that virtually any saint you want to dive into and, and read about uh, and, and dissect their life, you're going to get, you know, so much advantage from it. I mean, so much inspiration. It's in, in my mind, one of the most uplifting and effective um, uh, d devotional uh, activities that, that work for me um, because the saints are such a inspiring cast of characters and there's really a saint for everybody. There's a saint that, that everybody will resonate with, you know, in terms of their life situation, their, their achievements. So um, in terms of picking out saints, very difficult because it really, you got to get me on, it depends on the day. Um, but I mean, I guess a few standbys is my, my, maybe probably my number one saint is Thomas Aquinas because he is the, really the architect of Christian, uh, of, of, of really the Catholic church's present dogma. And it's the synthesis of philosophy with theology. It's very important for what I'm interested in academically. Um, I also have a special connection with St. Thomas More because my, my day job is I'm an attorney. St. Thomas More, I, I relate to because he's a public figure legal scholar, distinguished lawyer, but he never leaves his faith at the door and it, it infuses everything he does. And so those are, I'll just give those two Thomases as just, just a very tip of the iceberg of the saints that inspire me. No, I agree with you. I love that both of them. In fact, uh, the homeschooling program that I used for my daughters was St. Thomas Aquinas Academy there you go. <laughs> <laughs> to get a little commercial there for them. But uh, yeah, so, so I agree with you on both of those saints. And uh, now we do have to take a short break. We have a whole lot more to talk about because you are also a Catholic author. And I would love to talk about your writing and about also how you got on the journey of writing too. So we'll be back here on Journeys in Faith in just a few minutes. Hi, my name is Ann DeSantis and I'm the director for the St. Raymond Onatis Foundation for freedom, family, and faith. You can learn about us on our website at nonatis.org. I'm here to tell you today about two great podcasts that I hope that you will tune in. The first Tuesday of every month at eight o'clock, we have a podcast specifically for Catholics affected by divorce. From eight to 9 p.m. Eastern, go to Philly Nonatis on YouTube to subscribe. In addition, we also have a podcast the last Thursday of every month. That's also at eight o'clock Eastern time. For one hour and that one is for families in crisis we have some really great guests coming up soon so hope to see you then please also consider the fact that you can make spiritual direction appointments with us with our spiritual moderator all you need to do is go to our website on the contact form and just reach out to us we'd be happy to hear from you and look forward to setting up an appointment so we'd love to connect with you please share this video and let people know that we're there for families affected by divorce and also families in crisis. Thank you. Family and faith. I'm here today to tell you about a network that I am so thrilled. 
Hi, this is Ann DeSantis. I'm the director for the St. Raymond Onatis Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith. I'm here today to tell you about a network that I am so thrilled to be a part of. It's Fiat Ministry Network. And combined with uh, the work that I do with Patchwork Heart Ministry, I can't say enough good about Fiat Ministry Network. I'd like to invite you to go onto Facebook and also to YouTube and subscribe. You know, sometimes in this past year of 2020, there have been some issues with social media and, and different things and occurrences that have happened. And unfortunately, Fiat Ministry Network did have one of those occurrences happen to them on their YouTube channel. As much as you can share Fiat Ministry Network with your friends and let them know the wonderful work that they're doing, including some of the shows that I'm involved with. Uh, I would just ask you to let them know about it. So I want to thank the producer, Kent Kalhoski, and also Jennifer Sinclair, uh, his friend and co-worker that's helped to share so many of the shows and masses and other programs. So thank you again. I wish you a beautiful 2021. Don't forget to subscribe also to Patchwork Heart Ministry and to the Nonatus Foundation at our YouTube channel, which is Philly Nonatus. God bless and take care. Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network present the Discover Your Mission series. Now I had been brought up without any prayer, without Bible, without church, nothing of that kind. And so when my father died, I became suicidally depressed. I, I had no desire to live. And yet, by the grace of God, uh, whenever I got to the point of actually taking my life, I always had this interior conviction that if I took my life, I would simply find it again on the other side and it would be permanent misery. But it wasn't until I became a wife and a mother and I began to try and pass my faith on to my children that I realized that everything I knew about Jesus was memorized doctrine. I was a good man, I was a good father, I was instilling the sacraments into my family. Uh, I was definitely not intentional, I was stuck broke in my faith. But what kind of strength did he have? Jackie did not just have a strength of body or baseball skill. He had a strength inside of his spirit, a courageous meekness that empowered him to play the game. And I tell him what is going on with me and he's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, no, no. I think this is like some sort of miracle, dude. And he's like, okay, you know, of course, but I'll believe it when I see it, honey. You've been trying to quit and you've been saying this and saying that. And I'm, a, you know, he, his big line to me is, you shouldn't say things <laughs> because I never follow through on them. And so this was week after week, month after month, he is looking at me like, this is a miracle. There is no way that you, on your own, could have done this. So we are called to sing. All of us are called to sing. All of us are called to express ourselves and join our voice into the unity of the church. Uh, often with my choirs, I 
I ask them to listen to each other, to listen to the, the sound that they make together as one. That's what we're aiming for. Through the harmony or unison, we're aiming for a one sound. You need to decide. What are you going to participate in? Are you going to participate in the historic Christian idea of the altar of sacrifice, which is in the Eucharist, or not? Hi, welcome back to Journeys in Faith here on this Friday evening. And as, as I said at the beginning, we have a wonderful guest, uh, Peter Cavallero, husband, father, author, and apologist of the Catholic faith. And Peter, I thought we could talk about that. Like, how did you get into being an apologist? Because obviously your faith is really uh, a very, very important part of your life. Yes, it definitely is. Um, I mean, I, I think it kind of, uh, happened gradually. Um, you know, I've always felt that it's incumbent on us all to think about, I mean, we spoke earlier about vocation and calling and, you know, it, I, I've always felt that it's incumbent on, on us, on all of us to really consider what direction is God, you know, leading us to serve him. And I think the best clues to that is what are the talents and the, you know, uh, the various skills that God has endowed you with. What are the opportunities that God has given you? And, you know, when I follow those breadcrumbs, I realized that um, God definitely wanted me to, I think, um, you know, in some way, deploy my pen, deploy my, deploy my mind, um, you know, in his service. Uh, I was very blessed to have the opportunity to go and, and study a lot of great things, including our friend Thomas Aquinas and sort of classical philosophy theology. Um, I went uh, in college, I went to Georgetown University, which is a Catholic uh, institution that has a lot of um, opportunities in that regard. And I was also very blessed, uh, kind of in a roundabout way, unintentionally to kind of um, cross paths with a very renowned and aged philosopher at the time, um, who was uh, in residence at, at Georgetown named uh, Father James Shaw. He was a Jesuit priest there and um, very towering figure uh, sort of in the philosophical field um, had to have written like 50, 70 books during his career and highly regarded, uh, but also a masterful teacher and very devoted to his students. And um, I was sort of not, I was not, uh, I was not so receptive at first to sort of what, um, you, you know, what, what was, uh, what his classes were about. But, um, you know, over the course of my four years, I, I really did develop a close friendship with him. And I kind of um, really those, the, the things that he imparted to me, I think changed my life and, you know, was the single strongest uh, intellectual influence that I had. And so, I mean, on, on one hand, you know, it's sort of, thinking about, and I've always considered myself having, you know, somewhat of a talent for writing. I've always enjoyed it. And so on the one hand, it was kind of taking stock of, you know, where's God leading me to go. And on the other hand, I think it was sort of a, identifying just a need for, you know, our church to constantly be engaging with the world, which is the mission of an, an apologist. I mean, uh, apologetics has a very veritable heritage going back to the very beginning of Christianity itself. 
And at that time, you know, this was a, a minority viewpoint surrounded by uh, people that were hostile to it, to say the least, you know, and, and at various times, you know, uh, launching, you know, deadly persecutions of Christians. But at, at, at any rate, they were constantly feeling the need to justify and explain why they believe what they believed and, and testing the metal of what they believed against, um, you know, currents of thought that were, you know, going on around them. And, you know, I, I, I think that the need for that kind of engagement is no, no, uh, no less today. Um, and I would think of it kind of like apologists as a security force, you know, in order to live in, you know, a, a great country like this to, to enjoy the ability to, you know, uh, raise a family with prosperity and, uh, you know, have a good education and enjoy clean water, clean air, um, you know, political liberties, like uh, freedom of expression to enjoy all this good stuff. You have to have men and women in uniform on the front lines, on, on the frontiers fighting to, you know, to secure that freedom so that everybody in the middle can enjoy, you know, the, the, the greatness of a, of a, of a country like this, but then on the, on the frontiers sort of, you know, holding it all together. I think that the church, you know, I, I would, I would love to inhabit the devotional realm, the liturgical realm, the prayerful realm. There's so much, like I said, so much richness and texture to our Catholic church, but in order to keep that vibrant and uh, in order to uh, keep it relevant and, and keep it fresh, we need to, on the front, on the frontiers, we need to be engaging with the world. You know, we need to be, um, keeping, making sure that we stay, uh, you know, on the one hand, we're anchored to timeless truths. On the other hand, wanting to um, constantly engage uh, to make sure, to constantly engage those that don't share our viewpoint that may, that maybe uh, aren't um, in the faith, but are, you know, interested in having that dialogue. And so I felt that I felt kind of a need to sort of join that, uh, that endeavor and, you know, put on the apologetic hat and kind of have that conversation. Yeah, spoken so well. And, and I know that you take it very seriously in your life as part of your vocation. As you said, you wear many hats. And I think one of the hats that you wear is trying to educate and do the apologetics with people. And I do think it's making a big difference. Uh, and that had led you to write your, and author your first book, Fragments. I wondered if you could tell us, how did you get the idea for Fragments and tell us what it's about? Um, so Fragments is my, so I, I guess sort of coming to the realization that, you know, at least a part of my vocation would be to, you know, tr um, lend my voice to this millennia old conversation that's been going on. Um, Fragments is at heart a book that grapples with a very fundamental topic of the existence of God. And the audience is twofold. The audience is on the one hand, people of faith um, who, who, you know, are, are interested in, you know, probing that topic. Um, and, I, and I'm a big believer in always constantly challenging your own views, making sure that you have, you know, a sharp understanding of what you believe so that you, you know, you feel more genuine and, and fortified in, um, in, in, you know, propounding that creed. But the second audience is non-believers who, who at least want to, you know, explore whether, you know, there are, there are answers uh, on the part of the Catholic Church as to, you know, does God exist? What are the arguments for it? Um, and that's obviously a timeless debate. And a lot, is, a lot of ink has already been spilled on that topic. But I guess I kind of wanted to try my hand uh, at that, um, 
at that conversation. And Fragments kind of comes out of writings that I had started even in my college days, where I started to just play around with some, some thoughts about, you know, proofs for God's existence and, you know, what I might say uh, or how I might make, make a, a more novel spin on these timeless topics. And so uh, the book kind of is, uh, I guess, a result of um, writings I've been doing on that topic, but framing these uh, age-old questions in sort of a more, uh, I guess, novel setting. You know, it's, it's, it's semi-fiction. It's, it's part fiction, part non-fiction. It's like loosely, there's some world building involved where there's characters that are having a dialogue among themselves. But in the course of the dialogue, I kind of put forward the substantive ideas that I want to put forward. And it's also got some experimental writing in there, you know, part of it's creative, part of it's just me sort of just having a little fun exercising my creative juices a little bit. Um, but it's, it's not a textbook. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do is explore what could be dusty, dry ideas in a form that was not necessarily a dusty, dry format uh, that might attract, you know, readers, uh, you know, my generation or people that ordinarily wouldn't pick up a theology textbook. Yeah, you did a great job. And I appreciate that you sent me uh, the book uh, and, and was able to pull some things from it. And one thing that you mentioned, it's really on the mystery of creation. And you also touch on the problem of human suffering and proofs of the existence of God. Wondered if you could touch on those topics. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think those are, those are definitely, uh, the fault lines, I think of where non-believers might, you know, have stumbling blocks if they're going to come into the, the church, obviously, you know, they want to know, you know, does God exist? And there's a lot of arguments on both sides. Um, and that's something that you could spend a lifetime grappling with. And I think, you know, a subset of that, which is a very important objection that, that uh, Christians have to engage, you know, we can't sweep it under the rug, is the problem of suffering, the problem of evil, you know, the problem of tragedy um, in the face of a loving God. I mean, I, I don't believe that we could or should um, sort of flee from difficult questions. I think that we show our strength by engaging with them and, and putting forth answers uh, as to, you know, why we can so joyfully worship God in the face of suffering that's been with us, you know, since the beginning. And, you know, the mystery of creation, same thing. Um, another, I think, fundamental question that somebody looking to enter the faith, you know, grapples with, where does this all come from? Um, you know, why, it, why are things the way they are? And so, you know, the, the book, the book kind of explores all of these things in turn. And, um, you know, in the dialogue format that predominates in the book. Um, and I'll just to give a little more about the book um, in this, the book imagines a, a fictional world where gods in the plural walk among, among us, uh, walk among humanity. Uh, but at a certain point, uh, something happens such that humanity has hunt, hunted them to near extinction. And the principal character of the book, who's known as the God Slayer, is sort of this renowned uh, figure who has hunted down a lot of these gods. Um, and the God Slayer really represents the person who's struggling with their beliefs. And, you know, we would all love to be able to be face to face with God because we've got a lot of questions we would want to ask him. We, we, have, we have a lot of burning questions, the mystery of creation, the problem of suffering. If, if we had God in front of us right now, 
be a, a very long conversation. Well, in this world, they, they, they do have the luxury of having the gods in front of them and, 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 and they're, they're filled with rage and, you know, and, and so the God slayer is the one who is through his voice, a lot of these objections and questions are coming and, and the interlocutors of the God slayer are these, these, the remaining gods. So there's this dialogue going back and forth where the God slayer is asking questions. I think we'd all love to ask and, and is getting answers, uh, you know, uh, to those questions. Um, and so that's where I explore, I think, a lot of the, the questions that I wanted to address. Yeah, it must have been fun to write the book because I know that there are topics that you really like. And it, it was probably not only an educational experience, but also enjoyable for you. And I do hope that people who are watching will consider buying fragments. I know it's available on Amazon. Tell us the, uh, I know that it's in paperback. Is it also available in Kindle as well? Yes, Kindle ebook as well, yes. Excellent. So that's awesome. I know that it's also recommended for those who wish to strengthen their faith and those who seek to challenge it. And it's a one of a kind uh, book for the 21st century. And I think written by someone your age makes a big difference because uh, of the experiences that you've had being someone living in this time at your age uh, bracket, who's seen so much change and, and, now is a, a husband and a father and experiencing now life going forward as you are living out your vocation. So uh, it, it's, yeah, truly amazing. So is there any other recommended writing that you would suggest for someone watching? Uh, I know we talked about the saints. Were there any books that really inspired you? Well, and yeah, just to touch on that again, I'll reiterate any, uh, any amount of time spent reading about any saints is a great investment. It pays big dividends. You know, you're just going to be, you'll be astounded every time you read about a saint. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a hundred percent. I've never, I've never hit a dud. They're all great stories. They've all got great things that they kind of contribute to your life. And that's something to consider maybe even integrating into a a prayer routine, you know, if you want to change it up in terms of readings or other things that you're doing, you know, reading a small blurb about a saint, you know, there's, they're frequently incorporated into sort of, you know, devotional books and such. Um, and I think that's a good, that's definitely a great additional angle to keep in mind. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that for me, um, there's, there's, I, I like to read apologetics sort of in the vein that I, that I wrote, you know, books that, like C.S. Lewis that will, um, you know, make arguments for the problem of pain, one of his books or the, the uh, or the existence of God or, you know, why to believe. Um, and I also, I mean, there's also devotional books that, you know, aren't necessarily geared toward, you know, questioning, which has its place, but, you know, within the audience of, of just, just, uh, you know, believers, you know, just enriching and strengthening, um, you know, what, what we believe and, and why. Um, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a, there's a good spread of genre that, that I alternate between. And that's on top of, cause I'm a history buff. That's where my true academic heart lies, you know, all the other reading I do, but, um, but yes, in the theological realm, there's a couple of great angles to go. And all the reason to buy the book fragments. And I just pulled a couple uh, thoughts here that, creative characters, profound human questions, deep theology combined with the art of writing. I mean, that's what Fragments is all about. I mean, uh, pulled together 
by Peter Cavallaro. So uh, nice work, nice work. Now, what Thank about you. the future? How, are you considering writing another book? Yes. Um, and, you know, I don't have um, a concrete uh, project yet, but what would typically happen is, you know, I sort of do scattered writings that might um, evolve themselves into, you know, the, the jigsaw pieces that will come together, you know, and fragments itself, no pun intended on the title, um, did kind of originate with two separate projects that I had started, you know, over the years working on uh, separately, you know, um, and in fact, that accounts for why it's this hybrid of fiction and nonfiction. On the one hand, I had, you know, these nonfiction writings on, you know, proofs for the existence of God and, and more doctrine based questions that I was trying my hand with in college and beyond when I was studying under Father Shaw. But then separate from that, I, I was writing more poetic, uh, allegorical writings, you know, reflecting on the mystery of creation and, and, and doing it in, in terms that, you know, uh, very much resembled like the beginning of the book of Genesis. And uh, it was sort of the, the insight that I had was to combine those two things into a single work. And that's where the, the book came from. So, you know, I do things like that frequently in terms of little scrap projects that I expect, you know, could congeal and turn into a, a more extended work at, at a certain point. We'll look forward to that. And we'll have to have you back again once uh, that's published or before. Yeah. Now you're a busy person. You're an attorney, a husband, a father, a person of faith. You know, prayer is really the key for all of us to growing in our faith. Uh, how do you work prayer into your life? And is there a favorite prayer practice? Mm, that's a great question. Um, Prayer is just like exercise or anything else that we know is good for us, but is, you know, something that we need to train ourselves to do. It helps to do as part of a routine, but I'm also a big proponent of it being as well spontaneous because there's authenticity and spontaneity. You know, I don't just call my mother or my best friend or my wife at three o'clock every day, you know, for 15 minutes. And then I hang up. I, you know, the true loving relationships, you know, there has to be spontaneity, there has to be, you know, room to maneuver. Um, but we are busy people. And we also need some degree of routine. Otherwise, you know, just like exercise or anything else, you know, oftentimes doesn't get done or doesn't get done enough. So I think the, the challenge is balancing that. And I think what that for me, I think, in my experience, what that amounts to is definitely having a routinized prayer um, episode or episodes, um, you know, I think most commonly at the end of the day uh, and in, in, in the context of, of a, a marital relationship, you know, doing it communally as well. Um, but, and, and this is in some ways even more difficult, also sort of getting into the condition where it, it, it can happen spontaneously, uh, naturally, uh, you know, proactively throughout the day, you know, I, I've always, I always say that the moments when we should be turning to God are the moments when we least instinctively think to do so, because, you know, we're so, we're so focused on the, the crisis at hand. We're so overwhelmed and we're so, you know, busy. Like I'm, I'm at, I'm at work, busy day, got a lot of stuff going from all directions, you, you know, uh, feeling overwhelmed, you know, rather than, you know, uh, fall back on my faith too often, 
you know, I'm not able to focus on, on that nourishing relationship I have with God because I'm, I'm too busy fighting these fires all around me. But I think, it, so it takes a lot of skill that I haven't yet mastered to step back and to, you know, um, fall back on your faith in the moment that you need to, not when the dust has settled, when you're comfortably, you know, everything is sort of over, but to be able to do it in real time, uh, you know, uh, I think is something to, for everyone to work on. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Um, you know, we, we went at the beginning of the show, we were talking about the fact that you're in that millennial age range and how so many people in your age group aren't really honoring their faith and going to church and even thinking about relationship with God or religion for that matter. And we get a lot of people who watch uh, Fiat Ministry Network who are concerned for their kids, their grandkids. They love to see somebody like you at your age who is so devoted to their faith. Do you have any advice for them of encouragement to try to evangelize people in your age group? Well, one thing I'll say, which I alluded to at the beginning is, you know, rejoice that God can be found in so many diverse uh, contexts and channels. Uh, chances are, you know, whatever, you know, chances are, you know, God, there's room for God to be encountered on, on, the, on a person's own terms, you know, no matter what their interests are, what their status of, in life is, where they're, where they're located. I mean, God is, is, is there, you know, don't try to fight necessarily um, thinking, you know, that God needs to be pigeonholed. You know, there's one, one route to sort of get someone to have that authentic encounter with the living God you know, maybe work within the parameters of somebody's interests, somebody's personality. And there's, there's, there's bound to be, uh, you know, a wealth of avenues that can be explored in terms of, of, of having the person encounter God on their own terms. Another thing I would say is, um, you know, I, I, this isn't foolproof, but, you know, time does have a way of, um, bringing not not always but but bringing people around to god um if they have a sustained you know resources around them uh you know a sustained influence a positive influence that's you know extended to them it, it may not immediately sink in but um i think one of the good things about our faith is that you know it's there's such it's the real deal at the end of the day um if, if it's there for them and, and they, all they'll need to do is to take it and they'll realize for themselves, you know, maybe at that appropriate time, maybe after, you know, some uh, instigating event causes them to just turn, uh, turn to faith. Uh, once you, once you realize it for yourself, you know, you don't need, you, you know, you don't need any more convincing, you know, it's a real deal. And I guess I say it from experience just because I wouldn't have thought it, you know, maybe a few years ago, but I've seen, very, very joyful and, and surprising uh, turnarounds where I, people I'd known that hadn't had God involved in their life you know, with the passage of time and, and positive influences really surprised me and uh, really thankfully uh, now have very fruitful relationships. And, and I'm grateful to see that. Thanks so much for sharing. You know, miracles do happen. I've seen them in my own life and I'm sure that you have too. And I think especially when you have your first child, I don't know about you, Peter, but you definitely start to see so many more miracles starting to unfold mm -hmm. uh, in your life. So I'm really happy for you and your wife, uh, Alexandra, and for P 
Peter Henry, right? He's mm-hmm. Peter Henry. Yes. And God bless him. And just Thank ask you. everyone to keep you and your family in all of our prayers here at Great. Fiat Ministry Network. Such an honor for us to have you, Peter. Thanks so much for joining us. My, my privilege. Thank you so much. That's right. I'd like to also invite our viewers to go after this show is over at some point, please do go to patreon.com slash patchwork heart ministry, as there will be a show there called five minutes of faith. And that will be with Peter and I, where we will discuss three ways to draw inspiration from the saints. Now you're seeing up on the screen, the Patreon site. And during our commercial break, you learned a little bit about the uh, Discover Your Mission series, which is a wonderful download brought right to you of a church mission. So you don't want to miss out on that. I want to thank our friends from Fiat Ministry Network, Patchwork Heart Ministry. So again, Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. God bless. See you all next week. God bless. Journeys of Faith is a production of Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry. For more information about Journeys of Faith, email info at fiatministrynetwork.tv. And be sure to friend, follow, and like us on social media. Just search Journeys in Faith with Ann DeSantis.